Welcome to the January episode of A Garden Runs Through It, a podcast of the UC Master Gardener program of Calusa County, produced by RadioCalusa.com. I'm Jerry Hernandez, your host and coordinator of the Calusa County program. On today's episode, I'm joined with Laura Holler, from the Sacramento National Wildlife Complex. Laura, tell us about yourself. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me over today. I am from Willows, and I work at the Sacramento National Wildlife Refuge Complex. I'm the park ranger and visitor services manager there. And milkweed and monarchs is one of my passions. So thank you for having me. How did you get involved with uh Monarchs and milkweed, because I know you are a bird aficionado. Yes, yes. Well, growing up in Pennsylvania, we would see monarchs in the yard and up in our cabin at Pennsylvania, and just it always amazed me. So, coming out here and being able to see the monarchs in their large numbers up in the trees was just amazing. So, as I heard that their numbers were decreasing, I had to do something about it. And of course, I wanted to have milkweed in my yard and out at the refuge to keep track of the monarchs and where the milkweed was growing. January is coming to an end and February brings some gardening chores. Those chores are um, planting. You can plant rhubarb, strawberries, cane berries, In seeds, you could still do broccoli, cabbage, parsley, turnips, peas, radishes, lettuce, and spinach, especially peas, radishes, lettuce, and spinach. It is time to plant your bare root roses, trees, artichoke crowns, grapevines, and other vines. You could still plant pansies, violas, snapdragons, and fairy primroses since it's still cool out. Um, On maintenance, roses, fruit trees, and other perennials need to be pruned this month. You need to have your last copper spray on your peaches and nectarines before they bloom. And on prevention, spray horticultural oil on pruned fruit trees to control scale, mites, and aphids. Thorough coverage will kill overwintering eggs. And later in the month, spray neem oil on roses to control mildew, rust, and black spot. A couple of the other things is to look for fire blight on your apple and pear trees. Look for oozing and dead limbs. And if you have a problem in the past, apply a bloom spray to prevent new infections. And apply mulch where your soil is thin and um, bare beneath trees and shrubs. And yellow jackets. I've been having a lot of problems with the yellow jackets the last couple of years. Place out your place out and maintain lure traps and water traps. Upcoming UC Master Gardener events in Calusa County, we are going to continue our take and make at home kits. Watch for details in our newsletter and Facebook, and we will have one in February. We are also going to have a free STEAM kit that's science, technology, engineering, art, and math for young kids available. And the kits will be available the first working day of each month. Laura, you're very knowledgeable about monarch butterflies. 
You've hosted two workshops for the Master Gardeners, and hopefully we'll have another one this fall. Tell us about monarch butterflies and the importance of milkweed. Yeah, monarch butterflies, they're, they're a pretty iconic species, being nice orange and black color. And they're one of our largest butterflies that we'll have around here. So a lot of us remember them as kids, seeing them all over the place. And a lot of kids now are missing out in seeing them around. So one of the, the coolest things about monarchs is the only species they eat, when they're young at least, as the caterpillars, is the milkweed plant. And we only have two species of milkweed that live right here around us nat naturally. And that is the showy milkweed, which gets about six feet tall, and the narrow-leafed milkweed, which gets about three feet tall. And we have both of those around us right here. So the monarch butterfly, we used to have about a million of them out here in California. And they overwinter in about 40 or so areas along the coast. And their numbers have decreased. So having that milkweed out there is really the best thing that we can do here in Calusa and the Sacramento Valley area for the monarch butterflies. So tell us about the overwintering mm -hmm. uh, areas for the butterflies. Yeah, so the Western monarch butterfly, it goes all the way up into Oregon and throughout California and into Utah and several other states. But in the wintertime, they're going to migrate down to along the coast. So Monterey, Santa Cruz, all along the coast. There's several roost sites along there where the monarchs are going to spend the winter. They find a lot of eucalyptus trees and groves to spend the winter. And right around February or so, they'll kind of wake up from their, their wintering spots and start to head north and inland again to start the cycle all over. So when I was in college in the 80s in San Luis Obispo, we would go down to Pismo Beach. Mm -hmm. And these were just some trees right off the road. And if you're not paying attention, you would have no idea because they kind of exactly. looked like the trees. Yes. And you would stand there and look at them and go, Oh my gosh, they are, the trees are head to toe covered, covered yes. in monarchs. Yes. And then I've also been to Santa Cruz where they actually have a park and a mm -hmm. docent and everything. But the place in Pismo Beach were just few trees right off the side yeah. of the road. It was very weird. Yeah, I never remember the first time I was down there and I was like, uh, where am I supposed to be looking for these butterflies? I don't see anything flying around. And finally someone said, they're right there. And you just look up and they... They look like dead leaves all clustered together on the branches and on the trees. It was pretty amazing. And then once you figured out what you were looking for, yes, they were all over and just covered the trees. So they also migrate to Mexico. Yes, the eastern ones do. Oh, Yeah, okay. so for monarch butterflies, um, they're the same species in the east part of the United States and the west, but they're actually just spatially different they've been separated by pretty much the rocky mountains and the midwest there and so the western monarch goes to california and the eastern monarch all throughout the the eastern part of the u.s they all migrate down to a mountain range in mexico and there's one little spot in the u.s arizona where the eastern and the western monarch actually crisscross each other and we can get some of the eastern that come over from arizona and they can get some of our western as well so tell us what you at the Sacramento Wildlife Complex has done and what uh, and who you've partnered with. Yes, we've partnered with quite a few folks over the years. A lot of volunteers from the Master Gardeners and my volunteers at the complex, as well as other citizens out there that just want to help protect and 
um, provide habitat for our monarchs and the milkweed. Um, the Nature Conservancy has done a lot for us on our Sacramento River National Wildlife Refuge and helping us plant milkweed species out there. So as we restore habitat on the Sacramento River, we have been collecting seeds and uh, getting those plants out there in nice grassy areas that are perfect for growing milkweed. Now, monarchs have a disease? Um, they can. There's a natural disease called OE, and I can't say the word because it's huge. It's probably um, several centimeters long, this word, but it's a type of parasite that they can get. And so I've been testing the, the monarchs over the years, and um, this, this parasite that lives right alongside the monarch, and it's part of their, their scales on their abdomen. And as they eat the milkweed, they'll get some of those parasites into their digestive system, and it can affect how they survive, their survivability in the wild. So when they hatch from the chrysalis, sometimes they'll be all crinkled up and just not survive. And sometimes they can survive perfectly fine with the OE on them. So we test by placing a sticker on it, putting on an index card, and I ship it off to the University of Georgia. And there is a grad student there who looks under an electron microscope to see how much um, OE, the parasite, is there. And lately, in the last couple of years, we've had really low amounts, which is really good. Now, I believe you said at one time we should cut our milkweed back yes. to help with that. Yes. So in the fall, right around November, December, even now, if you have any milkweed standing out there, it's a great time to cut it back. Right now, the stems are going to be pretty much dead. There's nothing growing on it. The plant is all underground in the root system right now. So it's a great time to cut anything that's above the ground, dispose of it. And this way, the new milkweed that comes up will not have any OE on it and not spread it to any new milk monarchs that come through. Okay. Um, can you describe the metamorphosis of sure. the monarch? Sure. So a monarch's going to come through. She's going to lay her eggs, typically one egg per plant. And what she likes to do is she'll, she'll come to the, the milkweed plant kind of feel it and test it. And, and we think she's testing to see how toxic the plant is. Toxic for us humans and other animals, but not toxic for the, the caterpillar itself. She'll lay her egg typically under the leaf of the milkweed and go on to the next plant to lay her next eggs. As that egg hatches in about three to five days, you have a tiny, tiny little caterpillar. And I'm talking about about the size of a dot on the period at the end of a sentence on a computer. And as that caterpillar grows over the next 10 to 14 days or so, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just like that the, sto the kid's story, the hungry caterpillar just eating and pooping, eating and pooping and growing bigger and bigger. Once that caterpillar is big enough, it's going to turn into its chrysalis or its cocoon. And so what it does is it gets really big and it's full and plumpy and it's going to find a great spot to spend the next cycle of its life. And it'll typically go under a leaf or somewhere safe, turn upside down into kind of a, a J fashion, attach its rump or tail area, and it turns its body kind of inside out, becoming the chrysalis. And it's kind of a greenish color. And that chrysalis, after about 10 days or so, 10 to 12 to 14 days, depending on the outside temperature, it's going to turn really dark in color. You'll start to see the color of the monarch butterfly and the veins of the butterfly through it. And that butterfly is going to emerge out and it'll plump up its 
its wings. I like to say it's getting the blood throughout the wings at that point. And then it's ready to go within a few hours and fly off. And those adult butterflies are going to live about 30 days. And they're just going to um, feed on nectar at that point of any flowering plant and then continue the life cycle. Is there any difference between domestically raised monarchs and wild monarchs? There are. And a lot of organizations encourage to to not purchase um, commercially raised monarchs. It's, it's not a good thing for the population. Um, so, you know, enjoy the monarchs, the, the, nature, the natural ones that are out in the environment, um, but don't purchase any monarch butterflies. Those are not good to, to put into the system with all the others. Um, they tend to have a higher disease rate of various diseases that insects and monarch butterflies can have. And a lot of them that were raised in captivity don't know how to migrate. Um, so it's causing issues within the population. Now, what about people finding a chrysalis and bringing it inside? Yeah, it's. It, I encourage it with kids and families. It's, there's something really amazing about watching a butterfly emerge. Um, even as adults inside our building at the visitor center, um, I like to bring them in and just show up off to the staff and to the visitors. There's just something amazing watching this tiny little creature within days change its its structure, its body into this, you know, caterpillar to the chrysalis and the chrysalis into this beautiful butterfly all within a couple weeks. It's pretty amazing. So yeah, anytime you find them, um, I would encourage, you know, you want to keep it in some kind of cage. I like a net, a netted cage um, to help prevent any wasps getting to it. But you also want to make sure it's not getting too hot or too cold. Um, but one thing they have been finding with monarch butterflies is the sun is important for it. So if you're bringing it inside, make sure it's seeing or getting daylight and knowing when it's daylight and nighttime. That's been important for it. But also having the same temperature as outside. So when we get really hot here, just make sure you're not getting it too hot or too cold, depending on your inside and outside temperatures. So depending on where you place it. But I highly encourage people to enjoy that process. So where do you find uh, milkweed or milkweed seeds? So typically I can have some to hand out to folks. Um, and I usually give some and work with the master gardeners to process a lot of these seeds. Um, we collect them um, in the fall at the refuge. And then we usually sort them out and to have those seeds to give out to the public. And I like to keep our seeds local here in the Sacramento Valley because our seeds and our plants have adapted to our alkaline soils that are here, our clay alkaline soils. So I like to keep it right here. So um, this year was a little different. I didn't, I wasn't able to get out there and collect the milkweed like we typically do, but we'll collect those seeds and they come in these great pods with this threaded fiber that helps carry it off just like a dandelion seed would. And so we collect those, shake off the seeds from those threads and then we usually bag them up or um, put them in little envelopes to hand out to the public so people can plant that in your yard. And I usually just tell folks they can uh, start them in a little starter um, seed pot in your house until those plants get tall enough. And then you can stick them outside and anywhere part of your garden. But you just have to remember that milkweed kind of is a weed in terms of it, it grows and spreads all over the place. Yeah, I believe it doesn't need a lot of water. No, it does not. I've tried putting them in pots and keeping them that way, and it didn't work. Those roots of the narrow-leafed and showy milkweed can go many, many feet into the ground. 
So I don't even water my my um, milkweed plants at my house or at the office at all. They get very little water, but those roots just dig down into the ground and they find the moisture in the soil. And do you need to put the seeds in the refrigerator? I usually do. Yeah, this time of year, if I have seeds, um, I'll put them in a, a damp paper towel, put them in a Ziploc bag, stick them in the fridge and forget about them for a few weeks. And then when you're ready to bring them out, um, rinse those seeds off and put them in some dirt and let them sprout. And that cold stratification, that's that process, really helps to tell them, hey, I went through winter and it's time to start growing since it doesn't get too cold here in Calusa County during the winter. So the showy milkweed gets to about six feet tall. How yes. tall does the narrow leaf get? The narrow leaf plant gets about three feet tall. So I like both in my garden. Um, just to give off different heights, um, but they both have this pretty pink flower and it attracts a lot of um, monarch butterflies when they're around, but also other insects. So I enjoy watching all the insects that come to those plants in the summertime. And they would need to be planted in the sun? Yes, but we're finding out that the the shade is good for them as well. So what things we've learned in the last several years about monarch butterflies, that the caterpillars... Um, they're really affected by temperature. And so complete sun is actually too hot for them when we get really hot here, you know, 110 degrees in the summertime. So um, mine get a little bit of shade, but they can grow completely in the sun as well. So I kind of put them under the trees or next to my house where it gets some shade during the, during the summertime. Okay, Laura, do you have anything else to add about monarchs? Monarchs are just amazing creatures. There's nothing like seeing that that flash of orange in the in the springtime as they start migrating through here. But keep your eyes open. Um, when you see monarchs, since their numbers are decreasing, a lot of folks are looking for them and keeping track of those numbers. So one of the latest um, cell phone apps that are out there that works really well for keeping track of them is iNaturalist. And that's a little I and a capital N. And a lot of organizations, including Xerces, which um, is great for helping to oversee the monarch butterfly, it helps them know where and when monarchs are appearing. So as monarchs start to disperse from their uh, overwintering grounds along the coast, we're going to start to see them spread out over the next couple months. And so when you spot one, um, if you're in your car, stop your car, log it in on iNaturalist on your smartphone. And you can continue on your way. But I also use it, um, iNaturalist, to keep track of when I see new new milkweed plants in places that I didn't before. So you can just bring out your smartphone, take a picture of it, and log it on iNaturalist. Do you think the smoke from these big fires um, interfere with their migration? Those are things we don't really know yet. And there's, you know, that's the one thing with science. There's there's information we always need to find out and study for the future. So yeah, we don't really know the effects of the smoke and the fires on insects um, that weren't burned up but are traveling through it. And the same for the birds. There's a lot of things we still need to find out. So a lot of hope for all those new scientists that'll be coming up. There's still answers that we need to figure out. Laura is an aficionado on waterfowl. Yes. So tell us, you know, right here, we're in the middle of the Pacific Flyway. Tell us about the birds. Right now, we are coming to the kind of the end of the winter season. And we do have a lot of ducks and geese that are still out on the refuges. 
Um, so if you have a chance, take a drive on the the Calusa National Wildlife Refuge three mile auto tour in the platform right there in the beginning and take a look. I know there's still lots of um, snow geese and Ross's geese and white fronted geese that are around and then a mix of ducks as well. And so the auto tour is just a great place to even take your cell phone, your binoculars, or if you got a new big camera, take it out and test it and, and just view and enjoy the birds. The sounds of the birds are just amazing out there. So last, not last summer, summer before, you um, went to Alaska for, uh, for work. Yes. Tell I us about took that. a work detail up in Alaska at Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge. It was pretty amazing. It was my first trip to Alaska, um, but it was just amazing to see the wildlife up there. And the Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge is also known for its birds, but much different birds. Um, the Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge consists of a bunch of islands off the coast of Alaska where um, pelagic or ocean-loving birds are spending their summers and nesting on those very, very remote islands. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is pretty amazing. The, the, all these wild places that it protects and oversees on, as part of the National Wildlife Refuge system. Well, thank you, Laura, for sure. your insights about monarchs and um, birds here in our area, waterfowl, actually. Yes. So I know I've only seen pictures of your garden. So what's growing in your garden right now? Yeah, my front yard several years ago when I, when I moved into this house in Willows, I decided I do not want grass. There's nothing I hate worse than mowing the grass. And so what I did is we dug it all out. And I put in native plants and I've been amazed um, with the pandemic and working at home uh, mostly this summer. The number of butterflies and other insects in my front yard is just a, a whole world of, of insects that have been traveling through my yard. And I'm, I'm the only front yard in, in my neighborhood, at least, that doesn't have lawn. So it's been pretty exciting um, as I was home to just photograph and see all those cool insects. And I was logging all the different butterflies I was getting in my front yard. So I had quite a diversity. Yeah, I don't have, well, I have a little patch of lawn still in my front yard. Mm -hmm. And I didn't plant natives, but they're all water-wise. Yes, yes. And um, it is amazing the things that go on. Yes. So right now I'm pruning my roses. Yeah. I'm pruning back the perennials. I'm filling up my green waste every week yes i'm using my neighbor's green waste <laughs> to get everything done and get all the perennials uh, cut back yes i have several uh, salvias and they yes. need to be cut back every year i have a butterfly bush that i yes. have let overgrow and so it <laughs> needs to get cut back but the main thing i have 18 roses i now mm. have six already pruned so uh, this weekend, I will continue to prune roses. Yes, I always have to weed and clean out last year's leftover plants. Yeah, so that's what everybody should be doing, working in their garden. So um, it's a lot of fun. It has um, keeps me outside and keeps me strong. Yeah. It's amazing how strong I get from uh, using those uh, pruning shears. Yes. <laughs> and getting down on the ground and getting back up. Yeah. and getting out there and working. So I'll work for a while, rest for a little bit, work for a little while longer and do that throughout the day. Thank you, Laura. No problem. What, um, what plants do you have in your 
garden. Um, one of my favorite plants, which is going to start blooming soon, is um, a dark star ceanothus. That's one of my favorites. And um, one of my plants that I have, I killed it already with too much water. It it doesn't need water at all. But the amount of bees and butterflies that come to that and it blooms really early. That's one of my favorites. But right now, my lantana is still blooming from last summer. I cut back some of it, but I didn't cut all of it because my hummingbirds has, are still enjoying the plant. So I kind of let it go for the winter. And then my California poppies. I had a huge crop of them last year in my front yard and gave out the seeds to anyone that came by. Um, they're just starting to pop up. They're probably an inch tall now. And so I'm getting ready for those beautiful orange flowers. Yeah, I have a ceanothus also. Mm -hmm. And when we had that 200% of rain a yes. few years ago, it almost died. Yeah. It does not like water. No. I have, um, I, I don't have poppies. That's something okay. I haven't gotten into yet. But I have snow crocuses that okay. are starting to come up. Yeah. Originally had planted them in the lawn. Mm -hmm. And so now it's bare ground. But I've seen <laughs> them come up and I just get so tickled seeing the snow crocuses come yes. up. Well, thank you, Laura. No problem. For more information or insightful tips and gardening hints, visit the Master Gardeners of Calusa County on Facebook or visit our website, cecalusa.ucanr.edu. Remember to sign up for our monthly gardening newsletter. A link will be in the notes for the show. Do you have a gardening question? Send an email to glhernandez at ucanr.edu. Laura, thank you for joining me on another episode of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Garden Runs Through It, a podcast of the UC Master Gardener Program of Calusa County, produced by RadioCalusa.com. Until next time, keep those hands dirty.